Our scripture reading this morning is from the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis. A story that James has already shared with the children. My experience is that very often adults listen to the children's time more than they listen to the regular message. So I hope you all were paying attention. I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Beginning in the 10th verse of the 28th chapter of the book of Genesis, the word of the Lord says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on the earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, And angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. You will spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. And he called the place Bethel. The name of the city was Luz at first. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word on this Lord's day. You may be seated. Okay, does that sound like a strange story to you? Rocks for pillows. Visions. A new faith. It's a pretty strange story. And it's a story that's been captured in songs and in art and in all kinds of situations. These artist renderings, uh, I don't think Jacob painted this, so we don't know if it captures his vision exactly, but, but he had this incredible vision of a ladder or a stairway to heaven. There's another picture that follows this one. And the one on your bulletin today. This strange ascending and descending. One of the scholars said you would have thought it would have been the other way around. Angels descending and ascending. But the story says they're ascending and they're descending. Almost as if they're carrying with them Jacob's needs and his desires and his hopes and his dreams. And then making their way back. 
What a strange dream. I don't know how many Bible lessons have been taught on this passage of Scripture, how many songs have been sung, but in reality, what does it mean? What's the story of Jacob's ladder about? Maybe we should start by just thinking together about Jacob. Let's put Jacob in his context, where he belongs. He is the grandson of Abraham. Well, that's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? He had a lot going for him. Grandson of Abraham. He is the son of Isaac and Rebekah and the grandson of Abraham and Sarah. In Genesis chapter 12, you'll remember that God called Abram. And he made to Abram this incredible promise that he would make of him a great nation and that he would bless him and that he would make him a blessing to all the families of the earth. That's us. Everyone would be blessed because of this man's life. And yet, in his old age, the family has not grown into a great nation, right? In fact, he doesn't have a single heir. Come on, God. Where's this great nation? Where's this plan? No one. And then in chapter 16, in the book of Genesis... God reaffirms the promise. He tells Abram once again, and he changes his name from Abram to Abraham. And he says he does it because of the promise. The promise to multiply his seed and to make him the father of many nations. Now, Sarah's concerned. She still has no child. She offers Abraham her handmaiden. He fathers a child named Ishmael. In chapter 21, God fulfills his promise. And in their old age, Abraham and Sarah have a son, Isaac. Ishmael sent away. Isaac remains the only heir. We're not exactly talking a big family. When my, my father died 25 years ago, And when my father died, I'm one of eight children. There were 38 in our family, just my brothers and sisters and their family. Today, I think there are 89. I'm not exactly sure, because it keeps growing every year. I think that's why Dad left early. (laughs) He looked around and he said, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. I'm out of here. My mom has 26 grandchildren and 28 great-grandchildren so far, but most of the grandchildren aren't even married and having families yet. So it is going to be a clan, okay? The Hills are doing a lot better than Abraham and Sarah were doing, right? In fact, my three younger brothers and I had 10 sons between us before anybody had a daughter. So the family name is not dying out this generation. Abraham has no heir, except for Isaac. And then he has this temptation, this testing, that he's supposed to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. It's pretty hard for us to capture, as hard as it would be to sacrifice a child today, 
to put ourselves in Abraham's stead. But God spares the child and provides a ram for the sacrifice. He's the grandson of Abraham. And he is the son of Isaac and the brother of Esau. In chapter 24, following the death of Sarah, Isaac marries Rebekah. And after some time, because they didn't have children in their youth either, Rebekah gives birth to twins, Esau and Jacob. Esau the firstborn, Jacob grasping the heel of his brother, coming out second. Now the scripture says that Esau was the oldest and he was Isaac's favorite. He was the outdoorsman, the hunter, the strong guy, you know, the man's man. And that Jacob was his mother's favorite. We might say he was a mama's boy, right? And there's this normal rivalry. My wife is the youngest of four, but quite a bit younger than her three older brothers. And so she grew up part of her life kind of like an only child. And when our older boys, who were 11 months apart, were going at it one day when they were young, she said, is this normal? And I said, well, I don't know if it's normal, but it's the same way I grew up. They were really going at it. And, and Jacob and Esau were kind of rivals. And, and Jacob always felt a little under his brother. Pretty natural. What kind of man is Jacob? In chapter 25, the scripture says that Esau comes in from the field one day and then he is, he is so hungry that he's about faint with hunger. You remember the story. Jacob says, well, I've got some food here, but it'll cost you your birthright. And he manipulates his brother into selling his birthright for a bowl of stew, for food. In chapter 27, Isaac is old and he's anticipating his own death. So he calls his son Esau and he says to his son, go prepare a feast that we might eat together and I might share my blessing with you. And Rebecca and Jacob are aware of the plan. So they scheme together that Jacob will go prepare the food, kill a young lamb, prepare a feast, dress up like his brother, and that's no small feat for Jacob. You know, he's a mama's boy. He has to put lambs or goatskin on his neck and hands to be hairier. And he puts on Esau's clothing. And he goes in and he deceives his father. He deceives his father in order to gain Esau's blessing. The blessing of his father. And that's the kind of man Jacob is. He manipulates his brother. And he deceives his father. Now, Esau is none too happy about this, right? In fact, the scripture says that he wants to kill his brother. And he says, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will slay my brother. He says, I'm going to wait till dad's gone, but then you've had it. 
You've had it. And that brings us to the, to the text we read today. That's the background on Jacob. First, Rebekah, and later, Isaac and Rebekah, decide to send, East, to send Jacob away, both to escape the wrath of his brother and to seek a wife from their family, the daughters of Laban, Rebekah's brother. And that, that's the story of today. So what kind of man is Jacob? He's a schemer. He's a manipulator. He's a liar. He took advantage of his brother on more than one occasion. He lied to and deceived his father. He is selfish. He is self-centered. And now, he is alone. And he's afraid. And he's making this journey to seek a wife and in a sense, to find his future. In many respects, he's in kind of a spiritual exile. He's a wandering traveler in what often seems like an empty land. Now, for all his scheming, for all of the manipulation that he's been involved in, does he have any of the stuff that he wanted? He sought the birthright, he sought the blessing. But he's not at home to enjoy either one. He's on his own, on a journey to a place he doesn't know. And he doesn't have any of the blessing. He doesn't have any of the comfort. He doesn't have any of the possessions of home. What kind of inheritance is that? What does he have? In many, many respects, Jacob is a tragic figure. Isn't he? He's guilty. He's burdened. He's alone. Maybe he's remorseful. We're not told. Does he look at all to you like a prominent candidate to receive the promise? I mean, he is the most unlikely recipient of God's promises I could think of in this portion of the book of Genesis. Why God would choose Jacob? Come on, God, there's got to be a better choice. Schemer, manipulator, liar, deceiver, an ultimate selfish man. But maybe, maybe on this night, Jacob starts down a new path with God. Maybe this is the moment that for the first time, Jacob sees himself and sees God in a new way. In his vision, for the very first time, God announces that the promise is not just a promise for Abraham and to Isaac. It's a promise for him. It's a promise for him. There's no word of condemnation here. God doesn't say, Jacob, if you would just clean up your act... I would include you in this promise. It's not a promise based on Jacob's merit or worth. He is totally unworthy. It is a gift of God's grace and His providence. The 
could not have been a time maybe in Jacob's life when he was in greater need of somebody's encouragement than on this road that night when he had a rock for a pillow. No wonder he dreamed, right? A rock for a pillow. And maybe there was not a moment when he expected it less than in this moment when he met God on a journey in a barren land with a rock for a pillow. So what's the nature of the promise? Well, the promise, he said, the promise I made to your grandfather and the promise I made to your father, I now make it to you. He says, I am with you. I will keep you. I will not leave you. I will keep you and I will fulfill my promises. What a great word. What a great word. You know, we're heirs to that word, that promise. If you go to 1 Peter, Peter writes to the first century Christians and says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. For once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're heirs to the promise. Just as surprisingly as Jacob was. I am with you. That's what he was seeking in the blessing. The covenant relationship. I will keep you. I will not leave you. He didn't feel like he could protect himself. That's why he's running. But now he has a God who will keep him. And will fulfill his promises. Faithfully. Faithfully. So what's Jacob's response? Well, Jacob wakes up and he says, God's here. God is here. And I was totally unaware of it. Have you ever had one of those moments? Where you had an overwhelming sense of the presence of God when you weren't expecting it? God's here. He thought it was a lonely, isolated place, but he discovered God was there. God was there. Then he says, this is an awesome place. You see, maybe for the first time, Jacob was humbled by the presence of God. It took a lot to humble Jacob, right? Only the presence of God could humble Jacob. It was an awesome and a dreadful thing. To be aware that you were in the presence of God. Jacob was afraid. Not like he was afraid of Esau. A human fear. Jacob was afraid because he was in the presence of God. And then he said, this is the house of God. I've stumbled right into the house of God. I've stumbled into the gate of heaven. This stairway, this ladder to heaven must be the gate to heaven. Now, there are a lot of men and women since Jacob who have mistakenly thought that the place was what made things holy. And we mark off sacred places, don't we? We remember and revisit sacred places. 
But it wasn't the place. It was the presence of God that made it holy. In reality, God's presence is not limited by space. He marked the place with a stone memorial and made a vow. But God was with him every place he went. He said, I will not leave you. Every place you go, Jacob, I'm there. I don't know whether you come to church to meet God. But you can meet God every day. Right where you are. No matter where you go, what your life circumstances, where you find yourself, you can be assured the presence of God is there. It's there. Every place you go, it's there. So what do we learn from this mysterious Bible story about rocks for pillows and stairways to heaven? What do we learn when we look at Jacob? In a real sense, his story is our story. It is the story of all of us. In all of our scheming and all of our efforts, we cannot earn God's favor and we cannot steal his blessing. It's a gift of God. It's a gift to all of us by His grace, His providence, and His mercy. That's the only way you receive it. When we meet God, we are always unlikely candidates for His promises. We're all like Jacob. We're all too focused on us. My biggest problem is I worry too much about Jim. We meet God as unworthy And yet we find ourselves loved and accepted. No condemnation, but words of encouragement and compassion. God has a plan for all of our lives. Did you know that? He has a plan for every one of our lives. He didn't just have a plan for Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. He has a plan for all of us, and every day his desire is, by his Spirit, to work out his plan for our lives, in our lives, with our cooperation. He comes to us every day desiring to make us into the people he created us to be. And maybe for the first time, Jacob opened his life and said, Okay, you'll be my God. You'll protect me and go with me. I'll follow you. I'll follow you. You know, in Genesis 32, after Jacob has married Leah and and Rachel, you know, he got tricked. That's why he ended up with two wives. If anybody deserved it, it was Jacob, right? He'd had a family. A large family. He had grown wealthy. Now he's on, his, on the road home to meet his brother Esau. God has blessed him. And he's been faithful to him. Faithful to his promises. But Jacob is still fearful of his brother's reception. And do you remember he has this wrestling with the angel of God. The servant of God. On his journey home. And in the midst of that wrestling, the angel announces that his name... The name of Jacob is changed to the name of Israel. It is Jacob 
who becomes the father of 12 sons who build a nation and through whom all the families of the earth are blessed. Jacob. Now, is that a fulfillment of promise? I mean, God started slow with Abraham and Isaac, but he really got going with Jacob, right? A nation. Jacob's 12 sons would lead the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And his family would become a nation. What an awesome thing to experience the grace and power of a living God. Let's pray together.